Section One of The Wit of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joseph Tabler. The Wit of Women by Kate Sanborn. Proem. We are coming to the rescue, just a hundred strong, with fun and pun and epigram, and laughter, wit, and song, with badinage and repartee, and humor quaint or bold, and stories that are stories, not several eons old, with parody and nondescript, burlesque and satire keen, and irony and playful jest, so that it may be seen that women are not quite so dull. We come a merry throng. Yes, we're coming to the rescue and just a hundred strong kate sanborn the wit of women chapter one the melancholy tone of women's poetry puns good and bad epigrams and laconics cynicism of french women sentences crisp and sparkling to begin a deliberate search for wit seems almost like trying to be witty a task quite certain to brush the bloom from even the most fruitful results but the statement of richard grant white that humor is the rarest of qualities in woman roused such a host of brilliant recollections that it was a temptation to try to materialize the ghosts that were haunting me to lay forever the suspicion that they did not exist two articles by alice wellington rollins in the critic on woman's sense of humor and the humor of women convinced me that the deliberate task might not be impossible to carry out although i felt as she did that the humor and wit of women are difficult to analyze and select examples precisely because they possess in the highest degree that almost essential quality of wit the unpremeditated glow which exists only with the occasion that calls it forth even from the humor of women found in books it is hard to quote not because there is so little but because there is so much the encouragement to attempt this novel enterprise of proving by their fruits you shall know them that women are not deficient in either wit or humor has not been great wise librarians have with a smile regretted the paucity of proper material literary men have predicted rather a thin volume in short the general opinion of men is condensed in the sly question of a peddler who comes to our door summer and winter his stock varying with the season sage cheese and home-made socks suspenders and cheap note-paper early rose potatoes and the solid pearmain this shrewd old fellow remarked roguishly you're getting up a book i see bout women's wit twon't be no great of an undertaking will it the outlook at first was certainly discouraging in parton's collection of humorous poetry there was not one woman's name nor in dodd's large volume of epigrams of all ages nor in any of the humorous departments of volumes of selected poetry griswold's female poets of america was next examined the general air of gloom hopeless gloom was depressing such mawkish sentimentality and despair such inane and mortifying confessions such longings for a lover to come such sighings over a lover departed such cravings for only only a grave in some dark dank solitude as mrs dodge puts it 
Pegasus generally feels inclined to pace toward a graveyard the moment he feels a side-saddle on his back. The subjects of their lucubrations suggest Lady Montague's famous speech, There was only one reason she was glad she was a woman. She should never have to marry one. From the female poets I copy this song, representing the average woman's versifying as regards buoyancy and an optimistic view of this wail of tears. Ask not from me the sportive jest, the mirthful jibe, the gay reflection. These social baubles fly the breast that owns the sway of pale dejection. Ask not from me the changing smile, hope's sunny glow, joy's glittering token. It cannot now my griefs beguile, my soul is dark, my heart is broken. Wit cannot cheat my heart of woe, flattery wakes no exultation, and fancy's flash but serves to show the darkness of my desolation. By me no more in masking guise shall thoughtless repartee be spoken. My mind a hopeless ruin lies, my soul is dark, my heart is broken. In recalling the witty women of the world I must surely go back, familiar as is the story, to the Grecian dame who, when given some choice old wine in a tiny glass by her miserly host, who boasted of the years since it had been bottled, inquired, isn't it very small of its age? This ancient story is too much in the style of the male story-monger, you all know him, who repeats with undiminished gusto for the forty-ninth time a story that was tottering in senile imbecility when Methuselah was teething, and is now in a sad condition of anecdotage. It is affirmed that women seldom repeat an anecdote. That is well, and no proof of their lack of wit— the discipline of life would be largely increased if they did insist on being reminded constantly of anecdotes as familiar as the hand-organ repertoire of Captain Jinx and Beautiful Spring. Their sense of humor is too keen to allow them to aid these aged wanderers in their endless migrations. It is sufficiently trying to their sense of the ludicrous to be obliged to listen with an admiring rapt expression to some anecdote heard in childhood, and restrain the laugh until the oft-repeated crisis has been duly reached. Still, I know several women who, as brilliant raconteurs, have fully equaled the efforts of celebrated after-dinner wits. It is also affirmed that women cannot make a pun, which, if true, would be greatly to their honor, but, alas, their puns are almost as frequent and quite as execrable as are ever perpetrated. It was Queen Elizabeth who said, Though you be burly, my Lord Burley, ye make less stir than my Lord Leicester. Lady Morgan, the Irish novelist, witty and captivating, who wrote Kate Kearney and the wild Irish girl, made several good puns, someone speaking of the laxity of a certain bishop in regard to Lenten fasting, said, I believe he would eat a horse on Ash Wednesday. And very proper diet, said her ladyship, if it were a fast horse. Her special enemy, Croker, had declared that Wellington's success at Waterloo was only a fortunate accident, and intimated that he could have done better himself under similar circumstances. "'Oh, yes!' exclaimed her ladyship. "'He had his secret for winning the battle. He had only to put his notes on Boswell's Johnson in front of the British lines. Grace Greenwood has probably made more puns in print than any other woman, and her conversation is full of them.' It was Grace Greenwood who, at a tea-drinking at the Woman's Club in Boston, was begged to tell one more story, but excused herself in this way. 
No, I cannot get more than one story high on a cup of tea. You see, puns are allowed at that rarely intellectual assemblage. Indeed, they are sometimes very bad, as when the question was brought up whether better speeches could be made after simple tea and toast, or under the influence of champagne and oysters. Miss Mary Wadsworth replied that it would depend entirely upon whether the oysters were cooked or raw. And seeing all look blank, she explained, because if raw, we should be sure to have a raw oystering time. Louisa Alcott's puns deserve honorable mention. I will quote one. Query. If steamers are named the Asia, the Russia, and the Scotia, why not call one the nausea? At a Chicago dinner party, a physician received a menu card with the device of a mushroom and showed it to the lady next to him and said, I hope nothing invidious is intended. Oh, no, was the answer. It only alludes to the fact that you spring up in the night. A gentleman noticeable on the porch of the sanctuary as the pretty girls came in on Sabbath mornings, but not regarded as a devout attendant on the services within, declared that he was one of the pillars of the church. Pillar sham, I am inclined to think, was the retort of a lady friend. To a lady who, in reply to a gentleman's assertion that women sometimes made a good pun, but required time to think about it, had said that she could make a pun as quickly as any man, the gentleman threw down this challenge. Make a pun, then, on horseshoe, if you talk until your horseshoe can't convince me, was the instant answer. The best punning poem from a woman's pen was written by Miss Caroline B. Leroux of Brooklyn, New York, a teacher of elocution and the writer of many charming stories and verses. It was suggested by a study in butter of the dreaming Iolanth, molded by Carolyn S. Brooks on a kitchen table and exhibited at the Centennial in Philadelphia. I do not remember any other poem in the language that rings so many changes on a single word. It was published first in Baldwin's Monthly, but ran the rounds of the papers all over the country. One of the centennial buildings shows us many a wondrous thing, which the women of our country from their homes were proud to bring. In a little corner guarded by policeman twenty-eight stands a crowd, all eyes and elbows, seeing butter, butter-plate. Tis not butter-fated flower that the people throng to see. Butter-crowd comes every hour. Nothing butter-crowd we see. Butter little pushing brings us where we find to our surprise that within the crowded corner butter dreaming woman lies. Though she lies, she don't deceive us, as it might at first be thought. This fair maid is made of butter, on a kitchen table wrought. Nothing butter butter paddle, sticks and straws were used to bring. Out of just nine pounds of butter, butter fascinating thing. Butter made or made of butter, she is butter wonder rare. Butter sweet eyes closed in slumber butter soft and yellow hair were the work of butter woman just two thousand miles away butter fortunes in the features that she made in butter stay made of all work made of honour whatsoever she may be she is butter wondrous worker as the crowd can plainly see and tis butter woman shows us what with butter can be done nothing but her hands producing something new beneath the sun butter line we add in closing which none butter could refuse may her work be butter pleasure nothing butter butter use may she never need for butter though she'll often need for bread and may every churning bring her butter blessing on her head 
The second and last example is much more common in its form, but is just as good as most of the verses of this style in Parton's humorous poetry. I don't pretend that it is remarkable, but it is equally worthy of presentation with many efforts of this sort from men with a reputation for wit. THE VEGETABLE GIRL by May Taylor Behind a market stall installed, I mark it every day. Stands at her stand the fairest girl I've met within the bay. Her tulips are of cherry red, her hands a pretty pair, with such a charming turn-up nose and lovely reddish hair. Tis there she stands from morn till night, her customers to please, and to appease their appetite she sells them beans and peas. Attracted by the glances from the apple of her eye, and by her chilly apples, too, each passer-by will buy. She stands upon her little feet throughout the live-long day, and sells her celery and things, a big feat, by the way. She changes off her stock for change, attending to each call, and when she has but one beet left, she says, Now that beats all! As to puns and conversation, my only fear is that they are too generally indulged in. Only one of this sort can be allowed, and that from the highest lady in the land, who is distinguished for culture and good sense, as well as wit. A friend said to her, as she was leaving Buffalo for Washington, I hope you will hail from Buffalo. Oh, I see you expect me to hail from Buffalo and reign in Washington, said the quick-witted sister of our president. In epigrams there is little to offer, but as it is stated that women cannot achieve a well-rounded epigram, a few specimens must be produced. Jane Austen has left two on record. The first was suggested by reading in a newspaper the marriage of Mr. Gell to Miss Gill of Eastbourne. At Eastbourne Mr. Gell, from being perfectly well, became dreadfully ill for the love of Miss Gill. So he said with some size, I'm the slave for your eyes. Oh, restore, if you please, by my accepting ease. The second is on the marriage of a middle-aged flirt with a Mr. Wake, whom gossips averred she would have scorned in her prime. Maria, good-humoured and handsome and tall, for a husband was at her last stake, and having in vain danced at many a ball, is now happy to jump at a wake. It was Lady Townsend, who said that the human race was divided into men, women, and herveys. This epigram has been borrowed in our day, substituting for herveys the Beecher family. When someone said of a lady she must be in spirits, for she lives with Mr. Walpole, Yes, replied Lady Townsend, spirits of hartshorn. Walpole, caustic and critical, regarded this lady as undeniably witty. It was Hannah Moore who said, there are but two bad things in this world, sin and vile. Miss Thackeray quotes several epigrammatic definitions from her friend Miss Evans as a privileged person, one who is so much a savage when thwarted that civilized persons avoid thwarting him. A musical woman, one who has strength enough to make much noise and obtuseness enough not to mind it. Ouida has given us some excellent examples of epigram as a pipe is a pocket philosopher a truer one than socrates for it never asks questions socrates must have been very tiresome when one thinks of it dinner ye meddle tam it's never no good a threshin other folks corn ye always gets the flail again i your own eye somehow epigrams are the salts of life 
but they wither up the grasses of foolishness and naturally the grasses hate to be sprinkled therewith a man never is so honest as when he speaks well of himself men are always optimists when they look inward and pessimists when they look round them nothing is so pleasant as to display your worldly wisdom in epigram and dissertation but it is a trifle tedious to hear another person display theirs when you talk yourself you think how witty how original how acute you are but when another does so you are very apt to think only what a crib from rochefoucauld boredom is the ill-natured pebble that always will get in the golden slipper of the pilgrim of pleasure it makes all the difference in life whether hope is left or left out a frog that dwelt in a ditch spat at a worm that bore a lamp why do you do that said the glowworm why do you shine said the frog calumny is the homage of our contemporaries as some south sea islanders spit on those they honor hived bees get sugar because they will give back honey all existence is a series of equivalents men are always like horace said the princess they admire rural life but they remain for all that augustus if the venus de medici could be animated into life women would only remark that her waist was large the brilliant frenchwomen whose very names seem to sparkle as we write them yet of whose wit so little has been preserved had an especial facility for condensed cynicism think of madame de defand skeptical sarcastic feared and hated even in her blind old age for her scathing criticisms when the celebrated work of her helvetius appeared he was blamed in her presence for having made selfishness the great motive of human action bah said she he has only revealed everyone's secret and listen to this trio of laconics with their saddening knowledge of human frailty and their bitter voltairish flavor we shall all be perfectly virtuous when there is no longer any flesh on our bones marguerite de valois we like to know the weakness of eminent persons it consoles us for our inferiority madame de lambert women give themselves to god when the devil wants nothing more to do with them sophie arnault madame de savigny's letters present detached thoughts worthy of rochefoucauld without his cynicism she writes one loves so much to talk of oneself that one never tires of a tete-a-tete -tete with a lover for years that is the reason that a devotee likes to be with her confessor it is for the pleasure of talking to oneself even though speaking evil and she remarks to a lady who amused her friends by always going into mourning for some prince or duke or member of some royal family and who at last appeared in bright colors madame i congratulate myself on the health of europe i find too many fine aphorisms from carmen silva queen of romania Vous dites prêtre que vous détestez le 
il vous propose que le suicide est un crime, la médecine vous donne un stimulant et voilà que vous trouvez la vie supportable. La contradiction anime la conversation, voilà pourquoi le corps s'en si ennuissait. Quand à vous affirmer quelque chose en appel toujours de à témoin parce qu'il ne contredit jamais. On ne peut jamais être fatigué de la vie, on ne fatigué que de soi-même. Il faut être ou très philosophe, il faut dire, Seigneur, que ta volante soit fait ou nature, je te mets tes lois, même lorsqu'elles m'escrassent. L'homme est d'un violon, ce n'est que lorsque dernière corde se brise qui devant morceau de bois. In the recently published sketch of Madame Mole, there are several sentences which show trenchant wit as nations squint in looking at one another. We must discount what Germany and France say to each other. Several English women can be recalled who were noted for their epigrammatic wit as Harriet Lady Ashburton. On someone saying that liars generally speak good-naturedly of others, she replied, Why, if you don't speak a word of truth, it is not so difficult to speak well of your neighbor. Don't speak so hardly of... blank. Someone said to her, He lives on your good graces. That accounts, she answered, for his being so thin. Again, I don't mind the canvas of a man's mind being good, if only it is completely hidden by the worsted and floss. Or, she never speaks to anyone, which is, of course, a great advantage to anyone. Mrs. Carlyle was an epigram herself, small, sweet, yet possessing a sting, and her letters give us many sharp and original sayings. She speaks in one place of Mrs. Blank, an insupportable bore, her neck and arms were as naked as if she had never eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what a comical phrase is hers when she writes to her, Dearest, I take time by the pigtail and write at night, after post-hours. That growling, surly, dearest of whom she said, the most of bile that he brings home is awfully grand. For a veritable epigram from an American woman's pen, we must rely on Hannah F. Gould, who wrote many verses that were rather graceful and arch and witty. But her epitaph on her friend, the active and aggressive Caleb Cushing, is as good as any made by Saxe. Lay aside, all ye dead, for in the next bed reposes the body of Cushing. He has crowded his way through the world, they say, and even though dead, will be pushing. Such a hit from a bright woman is refreshing. Our literary foremothers seem to prefer to be pedantic, didactic, and tedious on the printed page. Catherine Sedgwick dealt somewhat in epigram, as when she says, He was not one of those convenient single people who are used, as we use straw and cotton in packing, to fill up vacant places. Eliza Leslie, famed for her cookbooks and her satiric sketches, when speaking of people silent from stupidity, supposed kindly to be full of reserved power, says, we cannot help thinking that when a head is full of ideas, some of them must involuntarily ooze out. 
and is not this epigrammatic advice avoid giving invitations to bores they will come without some of our later literary women prefer the epigrammatic form in sentences crisp and laconic short sayings full of pith of which i have made a collection gail hamilton's books fairly bristle with epigrams in condensed style and kate field has many a good thought in this shape as judge no one by his relations whatever criticism you pass upon his companions relations like features are thrust upon us companions like clothes are more or less our own selection miss jewett's style is less epigrammatic but just as full of humor speaking of a person who was always complaining she says nothing ever suits her she ain't had no more troubles to bear than the rest of us but you never see her that she didn't have a chapter to lay before ye i've got as much feelin as the next one but when folks drives in their spigots and wants to draw a bucket full of compassion every day right straight along there does come times when it seems as if the barrel was getting low the captain whose eyes were not much better than his ears always refused to go forth after nightfall without his lantern the old couple steered slowly down the uneven sidewalk toward their cousin's house the captain walked with a solemn rolling gait learned in his many long years at sea and his wife who was also short and stout had caught the habit from him if they kept step all went well but on this occasion as sometimes happened they did not take the first step out into the world together so they swayed apart and then bumped against each other as they went along to see the lantern coming through the mist you might have thought it the light of a small craft at sea in heavy weather deaf people hear more things that are worth listening to than people with ears one likes to have something worth telling in talking to a person who misses most of the world's talk emory ann a creation of mrs whitney's often spoke in epigrams as good looks are a snare especially to them that haven't got em while mrs walker's creed i believe in the total depravity of inanimate things is more than an epigram it is an inspiration charlotte fiske bates who compiled the cambridge book of poetry and has given us a charming volume of her own verses which no one runs any risk in buying in spite of the title of the book has done a good deal in this direction and is fond of giving an epigrammatic turn to a bright thought as in the following couplet would you sketch in two words a coquette and deceiver name two irish geniuses lover and lever she also succeeds with the quatrain on being called a goose a signal name is this upon my word great juno's geese saved rome her citadel another drowsy manlius may be stirred and the state saved if i but cackle well i recall a charming jeu d'esprit from mrs barrows the beloved aunt fanny who writes equally well for children and grown folks and whose big heart ranges from earnest philanthropy to the perpetration of exquisite nonsense it is but a trifle sent with a couple of peanut owls to a niece of bryant's the aged poet was greatly amused when great minerva chose the owl that bird of solemn fizz that truly awful-looking fowl to represent her whiz dom little wrecked the goddess of the time when she would howl to see a peanut set on end and called minerva's owl 
Miss Phelps has given us some sentences which convey an epigram in a keen and delicate fashion, as all forms of self-pity, like Prussian blue, should be sparingly used. As a rule, a man can't cultivate his mustache and his talents impartially. As happy as a kind-hearted old lady with a funeral to go to. No men are so fussy about what they eat as those who think their brains the biggest part of them. The professor's sister, a homeless widow of excellent Vermont intentions and high ideals in cupcake. And this longer extract has the same characteristics. You know how it is with people, Avis. Some take to zoology and some take to religion. That's the way it is with places. It may be the Lancers, it may be prayer meetings. Once I went to see my grandmother in the country, and everybody had a candy pole. There were twenty-five candy poles and taffy bakes in that town that winter. John Rose says, in the Connecticut Valley, where he came from, it was missionary barrels, and I heard of a place where it was cold coffee. In Harmouth, it's improving your mind. And so, added Coy, we run to reading clubs, and we all go fierce, winter after winter, to see who'll get the severest. There's a set outside of the faculty that descends to charades and music and inconceivably low intellectual depths, and some of our girls sneak off and get in there once in a while, like the little girl who wanted to go from heaven to hell to play Saturday afternoons, just as you and I used to do, Avis, when we dared. But I find I've got too old for that, said Coy sadly, when you're fairly past the college boys and as far along as the law students. Or the theologues, interposed Avis. Yes, or the theologues, or even the medical department then there positively is nothing for it but to improve your mind. Listen to Lavinia, one of Mrs. Rose Terry Cook's sensible Yankee women. Land, if you want to know, folks, just hire out to em. They take their wigs off afore the help, so to speak, seemingly. Marrying a man ain't like settin' alongside of him nights and hearin' him talk pretty. That's the fust prayer. There's lots and lots of meetin' after that. And what amount of sense, as well as wit, in Sam Lawson's sayings in Old Town Folks? As this book is not to be as large as Worcester's unabridged dictionary, I can only give room to one. We don't none of us like to have our sins set in order afore us. There was David now. He was crank as could be when he thought Nathan was a-talkin' about other people's sins. Says David, The man that did that shall surely die. But come to set it home and say, Thou art the man. David caved right in. Lordy, Massey, bless your soul and body, Nathan, says he. I don't want to die. And Mrs. A.D.T. Whitney must not be forgotten. As Emery Ann said once about thoughts, you can't hinder em any more than you can the birds that fly in the air, but you needn't let em light and make a nest in your hair. And what a capital hit on the hypocritical apologies of conceited housekeepers is this bit from Mrs. Wicker, Widow Bedott. A person that didn't know how women always go on at such a place would a thought that Miss Gibson had tried to have everything the miserablest she possibly could, and that the rest on em never had anything to hum but what was miserabler yet. And Marietta Holly, who has caused a tidal wave of laughter by her Josiah Allen's Wife series, shall have her say, we too are posterity, though mebbe we don't realize 
it as we ought to. She didn't seem to sense anything, only ruffles and such like. Her mind all seemed to be narrowed down and puckered up, just like trimming. But I must have convinced the most skeptical of women's wit in epigrammatic form, and will now return to an older generation, who claim a fair share of attention. End of section 1